This is The Dugout. Every Tuesday at 1 with Bump and Stacey. Inside access to the clubhouse from Shannon Dre on Seattle Sports. The home of the Mariners. This is The Dugout. All Mariners from 1 to 2. Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, it's Mariners hitting coach Jarrett DeHart. Jarrett, how's it going? Not too bad. How about yourself? Uh, we are well, especially after that win yesterday. And speaking of hitting, uh, three hits for, for Julio in this one. Um, he has been a topic of conversation, Jarrett. I'm going to be honest. It's because of high expectations and because he captured the attention of Mariners fans in the rest of the country. What have you seen from him this year at the plate, especially of late? Yeah, I think, uh, obviously, a lot of expectations for Julio. And uh, you know, dealing with that has been you know, part of this challenge for him. Um, I think, you know, especially when the rest of the team is, is struggling a little bit, he puts a lot more pressure on himself to, to kind of be the guy to get us going. Um, and when that happens, he gets away from his process. You know, he starts, uh, his swing decisions start to, to get a little, uh, a little off. And when his swing decisions aren't good, it's, it's really hard to have good results. Um, recently, you know, we've seen a, a pretty solid trend in terms of his swing decisions improving, which, is, is a really good thing. Um, there's also been a few kind of, you know, minor mechanical things that have been a little bit off recently that uh, we see kind of trending up as well. So all signs point to, uh, to Julio moving in the right direction. Um, the at-bats have been better. The swings have been better. I'm feeling good about where he's heading. Hey, Jerry, one of the critiques with Julio has been the violence in his swing. And I'm going, oh, he's a power hitter. You know what I'm saying? I think that's part of who he is. Um, is that something that concerns you? Do you guys talk about that, that or do you just let him be and understand that's who he is? No, absolutely. That's a, that's a, a consistent kind of theme with him, a consistent conversation. Um, I think, you know, it's not always uh, just intent-driven. You know, it, it's not just him trying to, to crush the ball. Sometimes it is mechanically driven. And it's oftentimes, you know, like I said, when it's those moments when he's, uh, you know, pressing, trying to do a little more where the swing looks more effortful. But there are also times where he's not trying to swing so hard and it just looks like it because from a mechanical standpoint, some things are off. Um, and when that happens, you tend to compensate with, with your upper body, with kind of muscling up, with a lot of tension, and, and that's what we end up seeing. But so it's a combination of, you know, the mental side of, like, at times trying to do a little bit too much then also the mechanical side that just creates this look of, of a very effortful swing, even when he's not really trying to take an effortful swing, if that makes sense. Yeah. When someone's struggling with swing decisions, so less of like a mechanical thing and with swing decisions, maybe they're related. Uh, what does the process look like on your guys' end? Like as you, as a Mariners hitting coach, what does the process look like to walk someone through that? Yeah, I think, you know, if it starts by identifying root cause, right, which is the most challenging part of, of this whole process. So, you know, with swing decisions, especially it's, it's a tough question to answer because, you know, poor swing decisions can be caused by poor mechanics. Mm -hmm. You know, if the, if the, you know, the guy's load is a little off and he's a little jumpy or he doesn't have control of his forward move and he's crashing forward, kind of colliding with the ball, it forces him to make his decisions earlier in ball flight. Right. So when he's making his decisions earlier, that hinders his ability to make good decisions. So it can be mechanically driven. Then it also can be, you know, intent driven, um, you know, approach driven. And, you know, with Julio, I think it's been a combination of, of both, right? I think, you know, at times it's, like I said, him trying to do a little bit too much, getting away from his plan. And then also at times, you know, the mechanics are a little bit off and he's forced to commit really early in ball flight. And 
you know, the ball does something different than he thought it was going to do. Um, but, you know, that process, it always goes back to doing our best to identify the root cause, talking with the player to figure out a plan to address that root cause, and then seeing where it goes from there. Um, but with Julio specifically, you know, the message always comes back to commit to the plan. And whatever his plan is that day for that particular pitcher, for that particular matchup, it's just about committing to it and executing. Um, and then we clean the mechanical things up kind of organically over time. Jose Caballero has been fun to watch, man. Two home runs the last two games. And it seems like he's settling into himself and in in who this team needs him to be. What do you see out of his at-bats as of late, and why has he been able to have the success he's been having? Yeah, I think, you know, Caballero has been outstanding so far since he's been up here. Um, and even coming through the minor leagues, Caballero has always been really impressive to me. Um, his, his swing decisions are outstanding. His bat-to-ball skill is as good as – anyone we have. Um, and the thing that's kind of grown over the years is his ability to impact the baseball, his power capability. Um, he's a strong dude. He's not a big guy, but he's very strong. Um, and his ability, the thing that I think I, you know, I, I appreciate the most about Cabby is that he has the ability to flip the switch with two strikes better than anyone I've, I've ever been around, quite frankly. Um, you know, pre two strikes, he's clearly committed to, to trying to catch the ball out front. Cause that's where he can do his damage, you know, and he'll, he may wave at a slider before two strikes really early, get fooled. But then once he gets the two strikes, he really leverages his ability to, to make contact. Um, and he backs the ball up. He kind of eliminates the stride, uses his hands. And you know, it, it turns into a, it makes for a very, very competitive at bat because you have the threat for damage early in the count or, or ahead in the count. And then once he gets the two strikes, he can really, really battle, um, make the pitcher work. So it's, it's a really unique skill set. Hey, I want to keep talking about a lot of these players and some of what's been going on this year. But uh, since uh, it's our first time talking to you, I, I wanted to ask uh, if we can get to know a bit more about you and if fans could, because you uh, took over uh, in your position, I believe, back in 2021. And uh, you you played in college. You have family members who have, have played in, in the pros. So you're from a baseball family. How'd you get into being a hitting coach? Yeah, you know, I, I think... It started with when I was playing. Um, obviously, I had dreams of playing professionally, thought I would play professionally, and it didn't work out. Um, but as a player, you know, I was, was very, very hungry to figure out any way that I possibly could to get better. Um, and I've, I worked with every hitting coach around the country, every guru out there, every, you know, read everything I could. Um, I just tried to gather as much information as I could to make myself as, as good as I could possibly be. Um, and ultimately, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> but the process uh, really taught me a lot about hitting. Um, and, you know, learning about hitting really gave me a, a lot of passion for it um, through that process. And, you know, I think from that point, once I, you know, uh, didn't sign professionally and started coaching in college, I, re- I became really, really hungry to figure out the answers as to, you know, what I was missing um, because I, I did search a lot. You know, I worked really hard. Obviously, it wasn't enough. Um, and so I guess, you know, my kind of passion for coaching kind of comes from the fact that I felt like I did everything I could as a player to be as good as I could be, but I still was missing some things. And I want to be able to provide the information to every player to make sure that they can be the best version of themselves, that they can get the most out of themselves. Because, you know, as hard as I worked, as much information as I tried to take in, I still felt like I didn't get the most out of myself. So. I want to try to, to help every player that I work with, every player that I touch, just be the best version of themselves. 
And so, you know, that's where my kind of passion for hitting came from. Um, but then uh, after a year in college, I, I got an opportunity with the Mariners to, to work in the AZL in 2018. Uh, and then uh, the following year, I was in 19, uh, spent half the year with the big league team and half the year kind of roving the minor leagues and then was in the big leagues full time in uh, 2020. For the first, that was my first uh, full season. But, but yeah, it's been a, uh, an interesting journey. Um, but yeah, very, very grateful for, for the Mariners and uh, the opportunity they've given me. Man, I love that story because it it gives guys insight to what the grind is like and how you can still be a part of the game if you don't have the success that you've had that you wanted. Right? I'm the same way. I was in the NFL for a cup of coffee and um, had to find different ways to kind of fill that void. And it sounds like you've done that. So with all the the learning that you've done when it comes to uh, the swing mechanics, I'm sure you've done some um, some learning when it comes to the mental aspect of being a great hitter. So when you break down what the great hitters all have in common when it comes to the mental, what would you point at? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, as for the mental game, I feel like that was probably the biggest piece that, that I was missing um, as a player. I, I heard from a million people how important it was, um, but it always kind of felt uh, very dusty to me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very uh, kind of analytical mind. Um, and when people would talk about that stuff, it, it, it just seemed kind of fake to me, you know? Um, and once I started working in the big leagues, my first year in 19, you hear this kind of, uh, you know, common saying throughout baseball is that once you get to the big leagues, it's all about the mental game that will dictate your ability to have success at this level. Um, and it seems like kind of a cliche thing again, didn't totally believe it. But once I was here for a year, I realized it is absolutely true. Uh, could not be more true. And I actually, after 2019 and 2020, I, I was so intrigued by just what I saw that year. Um, I went and got my master's in sports psych during, uh, during COVID because I was just so intrigued by all of it and, and realized how important it all is. But to answer your question in terms of what separates the, the best players, to me, it's, it's the ability to, to learn from failure. Um, because in this game, obviously, we all know that you know, you're going to fail more often than you succeed. And to me, the, the best hitters are the best at adapting. Uh, they're the best at you know, learning from those failures because there's so much of it. And if you learn to see that, you know, every, every missed opportunity, every struggle is an opportunity to learn for the future. It's an opportunity to make that struggle shorter in the future. I think the guys that view it that way tend to have the most success, at least in terms of the guys that I've been around. Um, but yeah, I would say that's probably the, the biggest piece that, I, that I've seen in my time here. It's so interesting hearing that perspective because Jarrett, from afar, um, when I look at, uh, like if I have a really simplified view of baseball, right, and I'm looking at a team that, let's say, they're struggling uh, with strikeouts, I'm thinking, oh, well, they just need to figure out hitting. But <laughs> but when you talk about trying to solve the problem that is hitting, what what stuck with me was a bit earlier in our, in our interview with you when you said you got to get to the root cause. I mean, it feels like you know, you could have five guys that are struggling and five different solutions and five different problems. And in each one is kind of like solving a puzzle to figure out how you can get someone right. Is that kind of how you view the job or what you've learned about the job? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, 
you know, especially with hitting, it's there's so many variables, there's so much complexity, and there's so much noise. You know, there's a lot of volatility in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in terms of identifying the root cause, it, it can be really challenging because you're also trying to understand the psychology of the player, right? Like, because we know that that's influencing his swing and his swing decisions. You're trying to understand the physiology of the player, okay? What is he capable of from a movement perspective? Is there, you know, something going on with his hips that's causing his load to get off and causing his swing decisions to get off? There's, there's so many factors at play that you really do have to – most of my work, I feel, is, is trying to identify the root cause. And that's what I spend the majority of my time doing, I would say, Um, because I think, in my opinion, to do it right, it does take a lot of time um, because there are so many variables and so many things that could be impacting what we're seeing on the field. Um, But I think if you if you don't try to get to the root cause, then, you know, you're very unlikely to solve the problem, in my opinion. Um, But, yeah, I I definitely think that's, you know, each individual is going to have a different answer. And even if it's the same answer from a literal standpoint, translating it to each individual could be different too. They may think about it differently. They may, uh, different words may resonate with them in different ways. So it's, you know, it's always individual and it's all about identifying the root cause for that particular guy. Man, the more you talk about what you do, the more interested I get, the more questions pop into my head, man. (laughs) And um, the, the next one that pops in my head, I go, okay, you're, your job is to try to figure out what's going on and um, say it in a way to where the athlete connects with it. And I also know dealing with athletes, they don't trust everybody. So how do you get them to right. trust what you're saying? Do you say, look, man, I got this master's degree, dog. You got to listen up. Let me tell you what's going on. Like, how, how do you get them to buy into what you're telling them? Yeah, absolutely not. I do not go that route. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough. Like you said, there's definitely none of this matters without trust with the player, right? Ultimately that is the foundation for, for any work that we're going to do. And, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier with the volatility and the noise in this game. If you don't, if you don't have trust with the player, real trust, if you try to, you know, provide some information or, or suggest some things, then they may buy into it for, for a minute, right? They might may buy into it that day, but then, they go out in the box that night, and if the results aren't there and they don't really, really trust you, they're gone. They're going to bang it, <laughs> you know? And it's understandable. They, they get paid for the results, you know? So trust is, is, a, is a huge, huge component uh, of this whole thing. It's, it's the foundation of everything I do. Um, and building trust with each guy, again, it's, it's an individual thing. Um, trust is going to come from, from different places. And, you know, for some guys, it's, you know, it's information, it's data, it's, it's hard numbers. Uh, it's, you know, if we're talking about something mechanically, it's looking at the motion capture data. Um, for some guys, that's what it takes. Um, for other guys, that doesn't resonate with them. Um, and, you know, we may have to go a different direction. But, you know, it, it's building that trust. It, first of all, it takes time. Um, and thankfully, I think, you know, the way that my time with the Mariners has kind of unfolded, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of the guys that have come through our system. Like, I've known Julio since he was 16, you know, Jared Kelnick since the day he was in our organization. You know, a lot of these guys um, I've spent quite a bit of time with, so that trust mm-hmm. is kind of inherent. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's always a challenge. Um, because if you provide uh, 
if you provide information and it, it doesn't work, then that trust can start to dwindle. Right. So, so it's important to build up uh, as much equity as you can with these guys. Hey, last question. I'm sorry to keep you a minute over here, Jared. But again, both of us are just enjoying this conversation. So we appreciate it. And then we'll let you go. We know you're very, very busy here. Um, specifically, when it comes to Jared Kelnick and Julio, um, you mentioned some guys like certain approaches. What have you learned about both of those guys in terms of how you work with them? Yeah, I, I think they're... They're different. Um, they're, they're different, but they're, they're similar in some ways. Um, Julio is obviously more of a, you know, happy-go-lucky. Um, he works his ass off. Both of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way Julio goes about it is a little bit different than Jared. Jared's very, very focused, uh, very, very disciplined. Um, he is a, you know, his, his nickname coming up was Drago because he, he takes everything so seriously. He looks like the, the Russian guy from Rocky. But, uh, but yeah, they, you know, it's, talking with them is ultimately both of them want honest, direct feedback. Um, now the timing of it is different for each of them. I think Kelnick wants a little bit more. Julio wants a little bit less, less frequently. Um, but you know, both of them just want honesty and they want, you know, clarity and, and direct feedback. And I think, you know, watching, especially Kelnick, like watching him evolve over these last two years, um, it, it's been, it's been really special for me to watch just because the, his ability to, to take in information has, has skyrocketed. Um, Julio, you know, last year, I think he showed his ability to adapt after his struggles in that first month. Kelenic now is at the point where, like I was saying earlier, the, the best players are the ones that can adapt the quickest and, the, and you know, the most frequently. Kelenic is showing that now. Um, he's, you know, had some stretches this year where obviously it's been pretty good overall, very good. Um, but he's had his peaks and valleys, little ones, but he's had some. And his ability to come out of those has been so different than it's been in years past. Um, because of his ability to self-reflect, to, to analyze what's happening objectively without so much emotion and, you know, uh, anger tied mm-hmm. to it. Um, he's now able to, to make quicker adjustments. And I think with, with both of those guys, to answer your question, it's like they're similar in a lot of ways. They just want good communication, direct, honest feedback. Kelnick may want a little more than Julio, but they both want it. They both want to get better. And I think that's common for, for every guy here. Everyone here wants to get better. Um, and we're doing everything we can to get there. Man, love hearing it and, uh, and love hearing some of this insight from Mariners hitting coach Jarrett DeHart. Jarrett, thank you so much for taking the time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jarrett. Of course. Of course. Thanks, guys. All right. Again, thank you to Mariners hitting coach Jarrett DeHart joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. You are listening to the dugout. It is all Mariners from one to two. We are going from one expert to another. The latest from Jeff Passan. Uh, Jeff was on with Brock and Salk earlier today and had plenty to say about Kelnick as well. We'll start here. You know, I'll say it again. This is the guy who the Mariners thought they were getting. And... Uh, He has been an absolute godsend because without Jared Kelnick this year, uh, the Mariners are among the most disappointing teams in baseball. Okay, tough stuff, Jeff. Tough stuff, gut punch. (laughs) But, I mean, he's not wrong in terms of just the offensive production. And I will say, you know, earlier today, Bump, we were talking about what we loved most from um, last night's win over Mm -hmm. the A's. And uh, and you mentioned... um, you know, uh, seeing seeing Julio get those three hits. I mentioned just kind of seeing like the uh, meat of like just the middle of the lineup go off those guys that you had been worried about. 
I'm going to throw in Jared Kelnick. I was not worried about Jared Kelnick. I think what's so encouraging is for the longest time to start the season, we were like, is it real? Is it real? Is right. it real? Uh, it's almost Memorial Day, and, and he just hit another home run. That's really cool to see. It is cool to see. And I, I thanks for pointing that out. You are welcome. Because now <laughs> <laughs> I'm officially in. Because, you know, there's been a while. I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. I did the same thing. You know, but I, I think I'm officially in with him because he sustained it over, what, 45 games or something like that yeah. now? Dang near. So, yeah, and when passing puts it that way, He's exactly right. How disappointing would this year be if he weren't able to pretty much carry this team like he has so far and then get contributions from Jose Javier, a guy you weren't really expecting, Bryce Miller, a guy you didn't expect to see, at least not as early this year. So there have been some things that have happened this year that have been disappointing, but also some things that have helped this team um, at least stay afloat. Yeah. Uh, Here's what Jeff has to say about both of these young stars, Jared and Julio. Julio, when he's at his best, is a top five to top ten player in baseball. I don't think that Kelnick has that ceiling necessarily, but Julio is everything. And if if Jared Kelnick, the way he's playing this year, is your second banana, um, that is a ripe, delicious, perfect banana. Second banana. I know it, it ended with a weird me, metaphor. What, that, uh... Look, what I'm, what he's saying is like <laughs> you could have two great ones here, and uh, if he's second, he's still a really great banana. I've just never heard anyone talk about bananas like that. Sure, Jeff Passan's kind of a weird dude. Smart guy. All right, gotcha. Gotcha. But what are you hearing from Jeff? Um, I'm hearing that two is better than one. You know what I mean? And even if one is slightly not as good um, as the first banana, then it's okay. Yeah. You got two good ones. And that's what you need. And I think the Mariners have potential to have three or four guys. Yeah, three or four bananas. Three or four bananas. Um, That's a bunch. Is that is that what they're called? That's a bunch. It's a bunch. So let's get a bunch. And I yeah. think they have the personnel to get a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to end on the thought of, now I know some people might get defensive with Jeff saying, I don't know if Jared Kelnick has that ceiling. But the first part is also what's really important to hear. When Julio's at his best, he's a top five player in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. That is why you are holding out hope that Julio kind of gets out of the rut and why you believe that he can. Because when he gets going... Who knows where this team can go? Uh, all right. Rick Riz is going to join us next, followed by Shannon Dreyer. Lots of the best voices covering this team coming up. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bumpin' Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners. Stretch and the next off of the way. Swing and a well-hit ball. Deep to left center field. Is that number two? And it is goodbye baseball. Holy smokes, Jose Caballero with a three-run home run into the Mariners' bullpen. In left center field, the Mariners lead the A's 5 to nothing. Hey, I know that voice. It's Rick Riz, voice of the Mariners, joining us now on the dugout on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Rick, how about Jose Caballero? Another home run for him. What have you made of his season so far? Oh, Stacy and Bump, I tell you what, this kid has been absolutely unbelievable. You know, uh, he had his first major league home run a couple of days ago in Atlanta, and then uh, he hit that bomb way out the left center field. He's just a ball of excitement. The kid just knows how to play. <laughs> He's got savvy. You know, he knows how to get the barrel of the bat to the ball, and uh, and, and on the bases, you know, he seems to be a wizard. He just got he has that that uh, you know that uh, inclination of when to take off. You know, he he studies the pitchers and. He had three stolen bases a couple of days ago. He's played very well defensively. So I'll tell you what, he's, he's given us a, quite a jolt uh, the last couple of weeks. 
Riz, when I when I watch him play, I think of what um, Haggerty did for this team last year. He was like yeah. that spark plug out there. How important are guys like this? Maybe not get the the love nationally, um, but regionally, we we respect him and love him. I tell you what, bump. You know, he, he gets the love inside that dugout and by the fans because you're right. Uh, Sammy did that for us last year. Unfortunately, he got hurt sliding in the second right at the end of the year. But you know, he was able to go in there and and play second base or play the outfield and play great defense. I can still see Sammy flying to the netting down the left field line at Detroit. Second Park almost made one of the greatest catches we've ever seen. This kid has given the Mariners that same type of spark because, as always, no matter what type of team you have, you're going to have injuries or sometimes a lack of performance here and there. You need guys to come up, step in, step up, and that's what this kid has done. Uh, He's done a heck of a job in every facet of the game. Uh, He's hitting about 280 at the bottom part of the owner, so he helps turn over the owner to, you know, uh, J.P. Crawford, now in the leadoff spot, has done a really good job. Julio had a big night last night, Ty France as well. So when you can do that, you can extend innings. And Mariners went out and had some fun last night offensively, scored 11 (laughs) runs on 13 base hits. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably unfair of me to expect 11 runs every night. That might yeah. be asking a little too much. but That's a little bit too much, Stacey. Maybe seven or eight would be nice. Exactly, but it was <laughs> nice. It was nice, Rick. And, and uh, Bump pointed this out earlier, especially to see Julio get those three hits. Uh, we talked yeah. with Mariners hitting coach Jarrett DeHart. We've been talking about the offense, specifically when it comes to Julio. What have you seen from him more recently, and are you seeing kind of any improvement, any changes? Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing a lot of improvement in the last few days you know a lot of times when hitters struggle especially young hitters got to remember I remind myself this all the time he's only 23 years of age and uh, here's Jared Kelnick you know who's uh 23 and uh, you know he really struggled he's Lazarus he's come back from the dead you know he was two years ago he was in 171 141 but the number that was going for Jared was 23 he's only 23 years old and Julio's the same way he had an incredible rookie season last year was an all-star but the league makes adjustments to you, and you've got to make adjustments back. So all of a sudden, you're not going to see many fastballs. You're going to start seeing sliders, curveballs, off-speed pitches. And when you put your pressure, too much pressure on yourself, you're swinging the pitches outside the strike zone. A couple of days ago in Atlanta, he got himself out. He swung in a pitch up and away for strike two. He swung in a pitch down low out of the strike zone for strike three. But when he is more patient and makes the pitchers come inside the strike zone, he does a lot of damage, and he'll be fine. And I saw that in last night's game. He saw a lot of pitches in Atlanta just two days ago. was 0 for 4 with a strikeout. But in last night's game, he had five plate appearances, very aggressive early in the count. He saw a pitch he liked, and he put it in play, uh, especially with authority. And so he, he saw no more than two pitches in every at-bat except the last at-bat. First pitch hit him in the back. Fortunately, it was all right. So when this kid you know, makes those pitchers, throw them strikes, and he stays within – the strike zone, Ted Williams said, hey, what's the secret of hitting? It strikes. And when he does that, you know, he's going to be just fine. I'm not worried about this kid at all. Speaking of strikes, man, we got Marco on the mound tonight. We want to see something out of him. How do you bounce back from an outing that uh, that Marco had the last time we saw him? And what should we expect from him tonight? Yeah, Marco had a rough time in Boston, but this guy's been around the block. He's He knows how to pitch, and he's got to have, you know, really good control with his fastball. But his best pitches are his off-speed pitches, his change-up, and his curveball. And he's got to be able to set those up with his fastball. You know, he's got to live on the corners. 
And when he does that, I think he's going to have a big outing tonight against the Oakland A's. So, and, and he does that. You know, he's pitched really well. He had a stretch of uh, five out of six starts where he had like a 2.34 ERA. So I think Marco's going to do just fine tonight. But like any pitcher bumped, you got to throw strikes. And I'm not talking about right down the middle. I'm talking about with Marco, with guys like uh, Jamie Moyer, you got to live on the edges, expand the strike zone. Hopefully the umpire will help you do that. And when he does that, you know, Marco's going to put together a good game. Hey, it sure looks like George Kirby is looking like he'll be an all-star. Rick, what do you think? His walks per nine is absolutely unreal. It's historical, Stacy. I mean, this guy doesn't walk anybody. Uh, he walked one guy the other day in his last start, and unfortunately he came around to, to mm-hmm. score. And he does his control. I've never seen a kid with that kind of control right away out of the shoot. He comes up from double-A last year. And when you can control all of your pitches, and he's heavy fastball, you know, as far as his repertoire, his fastball, slider, curveball, and the changeup, the split change, uh, you know, he's absolutely amazing. When you do that, when you don't walk anybody, uh, you don't hurt yourself. You know, you don't beat yourself. But this kid, uh, you know, he, he walked Kyle Schwarber, you know, against Philadelphia about two, three weeks ago, and he, he actually struck him out. So I think he only has about four strikeouts for the entire season, but he's fun to watch because the hitters have to be aggressive early in the count. So when he pitches, it's a short ball game, let alone, you know, we've already trimmed 26 minutes off every game at baseball. When he pitches, you know, these guys are got to be ready to hit. So he's, he's so talented. His stuff is great. He's a great competitor. He doesn't like to lose on anything. I understand whether it's tiddlywinks, ping pong pool, but especially baseball, he is so talented. Riz, a lot of our listeners are asking for a sweep of the A's. I say simmer down. This is a professional <laughs> baseball listeners. team. I will take three out of four. I think that's a good series. What is a good series to you? Good series would be three out of four. But, you know, uh, you know, after you win the first two, you want to win the third one. After you win the third one, then you want to sweep. You know, so uh, I would love to sweep aside this ball club. They are really struggling. Uh, they've got a couple of guys that can hit in that lineup. Brent Rooker is having a nice year for him. I think he has 12 home runs and 31 RBIs. Ruiz at the top of the order. But you got to take advantage of that pitching staff. The pitching staff going into the game last night at a 6.91 ERA for the year. So that means they have to go out and score you know, over seven runs a game, and that's impossible to do for the Yankees, for the Braves, you know, Tampa Bay. You just can't do that. So they're really struggling. You really have to take advantage of a ball club though when you're down because all of a sudden, okay, here come the Yankees, here come the Atlanta Braves, here come you know the better teams around the game of baseball, and I never, you know, uh, I never see these guys down. They always battle back. That's what they did last year. They never give up, and now they're only one game under 500 after, you know, a lot of um, injuries, key injuries in the early part of the year. Robbie Ray lost his first start of the year. We lost Munoz, one of the best relievers in the game, on April the 9th. Hopefully they'll get him back maybe in the next couple of weeks. But this club seems to always find a way to bounce back. Jerry Kelnick is having an incredible season, you know, for this ball club. Uh, a lot of great at-bats by J.P. Crawford. So I look this club to do what they did last year, and that's bounce back and, you know, get back in the playoffs again like they did last year. You know the voice. He was kind enough to bring us some insight, too, when it comes to this team. He is Rick Riz joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline for the Dugout. Thanks so much, Riz. Thanks, Riz.
Stacy Bump, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Take care. See ya. All right. Uh, we are going to go to Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer. Uh, I can't wait to ask her about this offense, whether there's anything improving. Uh, there's a really interesting um, quote from Scott Service I want to ask her about. We're going to wrap up the dugout with the latest from Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer. Next, don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners. You are listening to The Dugout, wrapping things up with Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. What's up, Shannon? Well, just waiting to come on your glorious show today, Stacy. We are happy to have you. We are so happy, <laughs> Shannon. We're also happy because uh, we get to talk to you after. Uh, an absolute dominant win over the A's. Now, it's a four-game series, more to be played here, but uh, I'm going to start with uh, the same question that um, Bump and I were just talking about when it comes to Marco. We saw Luis Castillo bounce back yesterday with a phenomenal performance, and it was really fun to watch. Marco, a different pitcher, also someone looking to bounce back. What's a good day for him look like? Against the A's, it's a quality start, (laughs) which is what he has done on all of his good days, not just this year, but last year as well. I think if you look back at what we saw in Boston, that was just a terrible matchup for him. Not just the lineup that they had and the ability to stack the lefties the way that they did, or to have the righties that they did, but that building and the power that they have, it was not. There was no room for error with him. Uh, They came out a lot more aggressive than I I think that folks were kind of anticipating, although with Marco, perhaps that made a little bit of sense. But uh, I think he just kind of the last one, he he put it most eloquently when he said you just flush that one. And I really do think because of the ballpark that he was in, you do. I mean, we've seen really good outings for him this year. And for him, you know, you're talking getting six innings, two or three runs. That's kind of what he can do. Sometimes get into the seventh inning, especially if you need it, if the bullpen needs it. That's what he has really specialized in the last two years. And was honestly, if you talk to pitching coach Pete Woodworth, just almost the MVP last year and how he was able to do that and then save bullpen the next day for a young George Kirby that they couldn't push the extra inning. So hopefully, you know, with his experience, with his ability to read swings and hitters, uh, he can, you know, just he should be able to work his way through this lineup with little trouble. Shannon, when um, you look at this team, a lot of the, not not the excuse that I hear, but the reasoning that I hear for people to be optimistic is that at this time last year, there were X amount of games below 500 Right now, they're one game below 500. I look and I go, I just don't want to have to depend on a 14-game win streak to keep this team afloat uh, before the All-Star break. So when when you break down where this team is and where they would like to be, how far off are they? And should I be a bit more grateful that they're only one game under 500? No. <laughs> I mean, maybe in the way that they have played at times. Uh, there's, you know, without question, a lot of frustration that the offense has not been able to uh, pick up from last year. Sure, maybe you have a bumpy couple of weeks coming out of spring training, but to have a bumpy couple of months coming out of spring yeah. training, and it's not just those that were here, it was the additions that were made that were very specific. I mean, Colton Wong was a player that was targeted by this team for a long time. He's not supposed to come in and hit a, whole, a bunch of home runs, but he's supposed to play solid defense and, and get on base and be a guy that is, is driven in by some of the bigger bats. We all know what Teoscar Hernandez uh, is supposed to do, and I'm sure his expectations are the same. He's starting to hit the ball right now, but it's not doing a lot of damage. It's a lot of singles, but that's that's you know just leaps and bounds from where he was uh, about a week to ten days ago. So you hope that comes, and with the track record, you think it will. But it, it's not 
unfair to have the expectations that people had. And the pitching has been everything and more than I think you could have hoped it would be. And the bullpen, especially considering that you lost Andres Munoz almost from the get-go, absolutely fantastic. So uh, it's I'm not looking at 500. I'm looking at what I'm going to be watching every day for the next four months with this offense. And you hope that they get it figured out because there are a lot of things that they're doing right now that are either atypical for the individuals that really doesn't live up to their history or the numbers just don't make sense. Or you kind of feel that you have a good enough, a good enough idea of who they are that they're going to come out of it, and it's going to be great because you add any offense to this pitching at this point, and you fly. But you got to get there. You got to do it. So you know, my expectation is let's see some good baseball. We've heard a lot of different theories from people as to why there's been a slow start for the offense. Everything from, well, the schedule is different, and so they're facing different pitching staffs that they may not be familiar with, to, uh, hey, it's the park is really tricky, uh, to, hey, it's just not the right group of people, to it's a hitting thing. I, I mean, I feel like I've heard every excuse under the sun, and, and in all honesty, there probably are a lot of reasons when it gets to one problem, that being that the bats aren't staying hot consistently. But when you look at this group, uh, what's maybe something that's stuck with you um, as to, you know, kind of why we're seeing what we're seeing, or does it truly like defy logic? Please stop striking out. (laughs) True. True. It's not hard, Stacey. You got to put the ball in play. People don't realize this. This is why you listen to the dugout. This is why you listen to Shannon Dreyer. Okay. I mean, I could go on for two minutes on that, but I I think that, you know, we're kind of getting to it right there. You, you got to put the ball in play. Yeah. I mean, they've struck out more than any other team in the game right now. I gave a, a, a stat to the morning show yesterday that they ran with, and I've heard quite a bit. But over the last 30 days, you have one, two, three, and forgot it in front of me, four. It's got, it got a little better after last night. Four, five players that are regularly in your lineup that are in the top 15 uh, strikeout percentage, not not the good kind, the bad kind, in the American League right now. And that that's just not going to do it. Now, what are the reasons for that? And I do think, and yeah, they sound like excuses, but they're very real. I think there is a little bit of adjustment, especially for a younger team and facing teams that you haven't faced before. And they faced a lot of them. They had, what, 15 in a row of National League teams in the first month of the season. That's not normal. It takes different uh, you know, scouting, different preparation. The weather is real, and everybody says, well, everybody has to play here. Yeah, but then they get to leave. Uh, the Mariners, really, it, it, it's it's been terrible. The weather has been some of the worst that I've seen. Are these, like, overriding, and this is why it's not going well? No, but they should be taken into consideration a little bit. And I think it just all piles up, again, especially, A, with a young team, and perhaps a little bit of it that you've gone out and you've gotten guys who, and this was a choice, who were one-year guys. And so you've got young guys who haven't done this a lot. You've got guys that are playing for a contract next year. You think there's a little bit of pressure on everybody right now? I just think there's so many things that have kind of played into it. And it's easy for us to sit here and say, hey, you know, you're this, you're this, you're this. We've seen it. We know it. Just do it. But when it's more than one or two in a lineup, it really can snowball. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. She is Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer. Read her work at seattlesports.com. Make sure you are following her at Shannon Dreyer. Thanks so much, Shannon. Thanks, Shannon. You got it, Stacey. Remember, 
stop striking out. Okay, I will keep that in mind. <laughs> Thank you. Again, she is Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer joining us on The Dugout, just as she does every single Tuesday. Don't forget, The Dugout is all Mariners from 1 to 2 every single Tuesday. And the Mariners, your Mariners, are taking on the A's for Game 2 of a four-game series at home. First pitch is at 6.40 p.m. Marco Gonzalez on the mound. All right, you guys, that'll do it for us today. Uh, for Michael Bumpus, for Curtis Rogers, I'm Stacey Rost. Do not go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next.